What's going on, guys? Another episode of the Corbin Claypool Show today. Today, I have an awesome guest. We're actually going to talk about a broad uh, array of topics, but I think we're going to talk a little bit about Christianity and get into our faith a little bit. And so I wanted to welcome Jake on this podcast. Jake, thank you so much for jumping on, dude, and let's jump into this. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. For sure. So tell me a little bit about your background. Like, uh, you're a pastor, right? At Adventure Church. Kind of go into that a little bit. Oh, yeah, bro. Just throwing just throwing our name out there like that. I'm just kidding. Um, Yeah, so uh, I do uh, pastor at a church. I'm not the lead pastor, but um, I'm like what you call like an associate pastor. But I have like a role. So I oversee like a lot of the creative ministry there, like video and in camera, photography, all that stuff. So, but then my role as a pastor, that's what's primary. So like taking care of people, checking in with people, building relationship with people, um, and then just like providing whatever they need, asking, right. you know, asking them where they're at, what can I help with? Uh, I grew up in Arizona. And then, uh, basically, you know, your typical drugs and alcohol story, uh, moved out of the house when I was 15. My mom was a cop growing up mm-hmm. she was a kind of a cop all my life. And, uh, after 50, after my sophomore year, I dropped out of high school, moved out, got a job. Um, my mom was never really home. Wow. So, sophomore year you dropped out of high yeah. school. Where, where'd you get your first job? Uh, at a Kroger grocery market, bro. <laughs> awesome. At a Kroger grocery market, worked there for a little bit. I worked in the freezer, so okay. I would just like open up all the Nesquicks and drink uh-huh. them and, and then label them as damaged. <laughs> that was me, bro. <laughs> and then, uh, I would, um, I was kind of couch surfing from place to place for like the next three years until I turned 18, uh, went online, got my diploma. Um, and then after that, I kind of like ran out of places to stay. And then, um, moved, I had family here in Fresno. So I moved out here to Fresno and did the same thing. It was like addicted to drugs and alcohol, bounced around from family member to family member until I ran out of couches to sleep on. And then I ended up at their Fresno rescue mission and, uh, had, I, I felt like had, I, that's where I met God, where I really met like the living God and Mm -hmm. prayed to him, asked him. Hey, if you get me out of this situation, I will change my ways. I'll change the way I live. And he did. Family member reached out to me. Kind of, we worked something out. Had to go to church. Had to go to school or get a job. And then uh, I found a really great church where I really got saved. And then uh, that was Adventure Church. So the church I got saved at is a church like I work at. And oh, wow. it's the church that I like. My, met my wife at. All that stuff. How long have you been going to Adventure Church? Like, uh, 12 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like ever since the beginning, pretty much. Like I came right after the church had just started. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of a great place to be too, getting involved in the church, like being there from the very beginning and just knowing everybody and being able to establish your roots in it. Yeah. You know, that's pretty awesome. So what got you into like drugs and alcohol and things like that? Uh, probably because my mom being absent so much, um, I, I, you know, it's one of those things where it's like you look back and you're like, man, I should have got arrested for this. I should have got arrested for that. Mm-hmm. But my mom was very well known. So I grew up in a really small county mm-hmm. um, called Pinal County in, in Arizona and uh, and a, even small in the smallest town in that county called Florence, which is interesting because it's the it has the largest prison in the state. So most of the population in the town I grew up in was uh, from the inmates. So. Wow. 
And so my mom was the only uh, female cop in the town. She was a lesbian, and uh, she was on the only female on the county SWAT team. And so uh, everybody knew who my mom was in such a small county. And, and, and then being, having that, right. Being the only cop, being the only female on the SWAT team, like female cop. And it was really interesting. And, and so she was never home. My mom was never home. Um, so you were just on your own. On my own. Age. Yeah. I was walking to school in kindergarten. Like how yeah. far away was class or school? Um, I would say probably like a mile. It was a small town, man. but still kindergarten. That's yeah. yeah, that's young. True. Uh, I know today I would never let I, my kids walk to school or yeah. and my oldest is in high school. I'm like that. It was different than two, though, man. I remember that age. And you, you think could, so? I don't know. I feel like it was. I heard but. something somewhere that it's like uh, actually crime overall in America is down, but reporting of crime is up, is way up. Really? So generally our nation is safer, but we report on so much doom and gloom that it see, that it gives the appearance that it's not. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like the news outlets and mm. whatnot are reporting a yeah, lot yeah. of bad stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, my mom was gone a lot and I just kind of, you know, your, your parents are like the first attachment that you should have, right. right? Where you develop a healthy relationship. I didn't have that. So I found it in people in father and mother, like figures, people who kind of take me under their wing. I started smoking weed, started, you know, drinking alcohol and, and it led to a bunch of other stuff. And, and, uh, yeah, that's kind of how I got into that. Wow, man. That's, that's crazy. And then, so you got saved 13 years ago at Adventure Church. Uh-huh. And one thing that we've talked about before is like the history behind the church, which. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know. Which I'm like, really, adventure? Yeah. Well, oh. like, not adventure, just in general, like the history behind church in general. Like we've talked like the Catholicism and then Protestants, right? And yeah. like the, the whole Reformation uh-huh. and all this kind of stuff. And dude, I geek out in that kind of stuff. Like Same. Dude, I just love hearing about it and like just, I don't know, it's just interesting to me, man. So how did you get into learning about that stuff? Was it just something that you went to when you went to school to be a pastor? Or, uh, uh, I've always been, uh, bro, I want to tell you, you're a great host, by the way. You're thanks, such a man. great host. Um, I have always kind of been a, a, like a seeker of knowledge and just love reading about stuff like this is probably a little too much but when i'm on my phone at night i just read wikipedia pages dude i just i just read about stuff um and uh so when i was with that family member that took me in here in fresno they made me go to to church and so uh when i was at this um this church they were making me go to which was not adventure I would just read the Bible because like the, the preaching, the shouting, none of that interested me. Mm-hmm. And so I just read the Bible and I was like, this is actually, there are actually a lot of different types of literature in the Bible. Right. I thought the Bible was just like a story about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was basically all the knowledge I had. Like it's the, it's the story of Jesus, which actually is true, but even throughout the old Testament, but right. It all, it's yeah. all pointing to Jesus, the right. old Testament. Yeah. Um, but I look at it, I was reading it and I was like, well, there's poetry in here. There is like, there's narrative. I didn't know what to call it back then, but there's like, there's historical account. There's like historical documentation in here. It's not just a book of one story. It's different types of literature. And so that really interested me. Like Proverbs, Proverbs was the first book of the Bible that I read a whole way through. Cause it was just like, like tips. It's just tips I on life. Proverbs, yeah. It's tips right. on how to live life. And it's really, it was really easy for me to like palate and digest because I didn't know how to read the Bible. Like you read, you read the gospels and those read like stories, 
but then you like read a lot of other stuff and you're like, yo, I don't know what this means. Like, so, uh, so yeah, that kind of piqued my interest. And as I got older, I realized how important, um, church history is. Mm -hmm. I realized how important, uh, the way that churches do church. I realized how important that is. Mm -hmm. And what do you mean by that? Like the way churches do church, just like, cause there's so many different types. There's this video that went viral. Have you seen it on YouTube about the different denominations, right? There's so many denominations and in my pursuit of my faith, I've like looked at Islam. I've looked at Jehovah witness. I've looked at all this and there, you know, a lot of what they say is, well, there's all these different denominations. So Christianity is not correct because of that. That's a lot of their argument. Right. Um, but then when you start looking into the denominations, you just see that there's like slight differences. So maybe they worship a little bit different, or maybe they almost like even set up their church differently in like forms of like hierarchy, things of that nature. Uh So, um, is that kind of what you're meaning with that? Like the way church is set up or, well, no, not really. Um, so denominations, when you look, when you think of, deno- I think you're using denominations interchangeably with religion. So right. like a denomination is like kind of like a sect or a different group within the overarching group of Christianity, if that makes sense. Right. So like you have Christianity, right? And then you have the the religion, then you have the denominations, which right. are like Pentecostal right. or Baptist or Assemblies of God or non-denominational. Non-denominational is still Christian, right? Right. So the, with the denominations, they all believe in the essentials. People make this a way bigger deal than it needs to be. It's like with fighting over what denominations. Oh, there's so many different denominations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they have they have different perspectives on the small things when right. it comes to the Bible. Mm-hmm. Not the big things. Everybody in Christianity, if you're a true Christian, uh, agrees that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, Jesus was born of a virgin birth. Jesus died and resurrected on the third day, right? right. And that he's coming back. Like every denomination agrees on those things. But right. but what they don't agree on is maybe speaking in tongues. What they don't agree on is maybe how they do church. Uh, should we tithe? Uh, stuff like that. Um, so what, I, what do you guys think about that? The whole tithing? Sorry, now we're getting yeah, on yeah, this yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah, dude, stuff. I, I love this stuff, man. Thank you for talking to me about it. I'm happy to have you on. Yeah. Like, what do you think about tithing? Do you think it needs to be 10%? My church is huge on that. Is hey, 10% belongs to basically the church in a, in a way. Do you believe in that? Or do you think that when Jesus came, when he established new law, that that is gone? Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about that. What do you That's think? That's a great question. Uh, and I'm honored to be on your podcast, by the way. You're like, um, you have a lot of cool people on, man. So anyway, to finish my other thought, uh, before I answer the tithing one, um, you have these religions, right? Like Islam and, and Buddhism and, and uh, um, Confucianism. Like Catholic, technically for me, would still fall under Christianity. Right. Um, and there's a lot of argument around There that, is a lot I of argument, about, right? right? But but without Catholic, without the Roman Catholic Church, we wouldn't have Christianity. 100%. Like Protestant Christianity. They're the best preservers of church history ever. Like the the Catholic Church has preserved the historicity of Christianity the best. Anyway, right. um, but Islam's they 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 worship a different god. Uh, you know, uh, Judaism they worship a different god. Uh, uh, Buddhists Judaism does. I mean, because Judaism is with the Old Testament. They I, they don't necessarily believe in Jesus, but they still believe in Yahweh, uh-huh. right? So. They worship a different God because Jesus is not their God. Exactly. Exactly. Gotcha. So yeah, that's, 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 uh, uh, a lot of, 
I, well, I know my pastor would probably disagree. Him and I disagree a lot on like Judaism and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and like how it plays out in Christianity today. He makes a lot of really great points, but, um, I have a different perspective on it. anyway, the tithing thing. So tithing is, um, obviously giving the 10% of your income to the church. That's what people. And so that's where people get that stigma of like the church just wants your money. The church just mm -hmm. wants your money. Um, but it's a biblical principle. And so, and actually tithing is pre-law. So tithing precedes the law of Moses, meaning that, uh, Interesting. meaning that it, God has woven the, the value of tithing into the fabric of reality. Um, because God created the earth, God created everything. And so when they bring him offerings, like when Cain and Abel brought, um, an offering to God, um, remember when Cain kills his brother Abel, do you remember that story? Right. In the Bible? Yes. Uh, my, um, my, I mean, and, yes, and, I know it, but uh, I don't know these things. In detail, long story so, yeah. short. Yeah. So long story short, this is before the, the law. This is before the law of Moses, right? The 10 commandments is the law of Moses and, uh, Cain and Abel bring, uh, a tithe to the, to, to God and Abel brings, um, his first fruits. Basically he, he brings a really great tithe and then Abel just basically gathered what he could. I mean, Cain gathered what he could and offered it and God didn't favor his, um, his, uh, tithe essentially because his heart was wrong anyway. Uh, and even in the new Testament, you see Jesus telling the Pharisees, you tithe, all these things you, you, you do give the tithe to the church, but what you don't do is you don't love your neighbor. You don't care for your neighbor. You should keep tithing and you should keep, and you should start loving your neighbor. Mm. Like tithing is just, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a principle. It's a value of Christianity. Like right. it is mandatory. And, and God, you know, you reap what you sow, I guess it's a tax. Yeah. The, the, that's the easiest way to put it. Tithing is a God tax for living on this earth and breathing God's air and stewarding and using whatever, everything that God has created, you pay a tax. So if you're, let's say giving 10% of your income, should you go above and beyond that and do more? Does God, my church kind of says like 10% of your income. And then in a way, and this is maybe not exactly what they say, but you get rewarded essentially, right? What you put in, you get out more over 10% or something. God blesses more than 10%. Like God blesses your 10%, but he blesses you more abundantly with above 10%. This is so right? interesting. Is yeah. That's so, I mean, I, I would say yes and no. So we don't give our tithe in order to get right. That's a hard issue. Right. So then God is like, you can keep your hundred percent then, because 100%. if you're just giving your 10% to me, because we're not giving the 10% to the church, we're giving to God. Right. Right. The, the purpose of the tithe practically was to upkeep the church. Right. So, uh, you know, keep the lights on, keep the internet going, How, you know, like keep the sound system fresh and clean. So worship can be great. Right. Pay mm -hmm. the pastor salary, pay the one who pay the one who's, who's running the whole show. Right. Um, and so a lot of people don't like to hear that, but no, they don't. It, and they don't. And I think sometimes where people kind of get irritated is like when churches are putting all this stuff into extravagant, beautiful architecture and things of that nature, which I don't have a problem with mm -hmm. it. I kind of, I like it personally, but where's but I think the fruit that's where a lot of people have good. Yeah. But where's the fruit? So you can get a new led wall. You can put money in for a new sound system. You can put money in to pave that repave the parking lot. Mm -hmm. But are people being transformed in your church? Are people coming to know Christ? Right. Are people really developing a it's genuine Bible based church? Basically. Is what you're yeah. yeah. Are people really encountering and having a relationship with God with the money that they give? They're entrusting you, uh, believing that 
you know, hey, I'm doing my duty to tithe, to give to God, but it's also the church's duty to steward that tithe that comes in well. Steward it and do good for the community that they're in. 100%. Right? And it, I think that's what people want to see is mm-hmm. when they're tithing that the money's being given out to their community. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, people could just take the 10% and just give to something that they believe in personally. Right. You know? And that's funny you interest that because I believe, you know, Strat, shout out to Stratton Brown. Um, yeah. uh when I started working with Strat, he told me that he tithes 10% of his um, income. Mm-hmm. Whatever he gets, he tithes 10% to a to, to a nonprofit that he believes in or to a cause that he believes in. And it that really changed my perspective because it changed my perspective that tithing is a value of reality. And I know that sounds like really existential, mm-hmm. but God sees the people on earth who take care of that resource well, and he allows them to have more mm-hmm. if they're believers or non-believers. Dude, that's funny that you say that. Let's, okay, Strat does, that Strat does very well, mm-hmm. and I think it's because he stewards his money well, he's and good. he tithes. Tithing is is also shows good stewardship. 100%. Right? So uh, I believe anybody who tithes will not go without. The above 10%, when we're talking about the church, that's generosity. Tithing your 10% is not being generous. That's bare minimum. Okay. So that that's the question I have. Yeah. So that's really good. Okay. So, um, uh-huh. no, go ahead. Go ahead yeah. Go, going above and beyond the tithe is generous. What One thing that you mentioned that stood out to me right now, right, is it is huge out there right now. You've all heard it, right? Manifestation, believe in all this kind of stuff. And, I, you know, I actually followed that for a very long time, mm-hmm. right? I read books on it. I listen to audiobooks. There's a guru. That's all he talked about. Like, believe it and it happens. And I get it. I do believe that. But you just mentioned God basically weaves things into the fabric of reality. So these are just basic laws of how the universe works that God created. And anybody can tap into it because it's just how it works. Mm-hmm. Is that what you guys believe a little bit? Or is that kind of what you think? Uh, I guess I'm just asking for your take on that. Um. Well, I'd be interested in hearing like what your big, what the biggest takeaway for you was like when it had to do a manifestation and stuff like that. Right. What was your biggest takeaway? Yeah. My biggest takeaway, I mean, it worked, dude. Uh-huh. You know, like, How? Before, like practically walk that out. How did it work for you? Well, I started with living. I mean, I was kind of go into, it. I started with living in my dad's house, like with no connections or anything in my business. And, um, uh, I started studying the law of attraction, you know, think and grow rich. Uh, what's the law of attraction? It's like where it's a belief that if you believe, right, and you have the faith that it's going to happen, that you are receiving it, right? Like you're grateful that it's already here, but you're also grateful for the things that you already have, then those things will come to you. Like it's the belief that you attract what's out there that you want to you. And it could be material things. This is where a lot of the law of attraction is, right? It's, it's not even faith based. A lot of the times or like spiritually based. I feel like it's more like material based. Like I want the new Lamborghini, so I'm going to put it out there and I'm going to get the new Lamborghini when it comes in. So if I, so I just, so I understand you law of attraction is if I think and believe hard enough for this thing that I want, I will get it. Yeah. That's it. That's basically what they believe. And then, you know, put the work in too. Okay. Like they believe that, um, you have to put the work in. There was one guru that was like, you know, if you sit on the couch and you believe hard enough, it will come in. I was like, that's, that's not ever going to work. Right. Uh, so you got to put the work too. Uh-huh. Um, but having the faith that it's coming in already is what like delivers it. And yeah. So law of attraction is, is law of attraction and manifestation the same thing? 
Yeah, the same thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. So manifest is just like a broader term for... Yeah, it's like I can manifest the Lamborghini. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. I don't... I used to have that belief. I just think it's kind of a... Um, I don't know the right word that I'm trying to think of right now. It's mm-hmm. like a low-level belief, I guess. Like, Because the fact that you believe that you should just be able to like manifest a Lamborghini or something, right? Like something material like sure. that for me is stupid. Cause it's like, it's a material item on this earth and who the f- cares how many material items you have? Like how much self growth do you have? Uh-huh. How are you impacting the people around you? Uh-huh. How are you helping other people gr- grow? How are you helping them become great? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, mm-hmm. um, and manifest to me is very selfish cause it's all about like, what can I get out of the universe? Like what can I, you know, I want the new Lambo. I want that. And I'm not saying that stuff is bad. That stuff is, you know, the, um, the result of hard work, uh-huh. the result of putting time in the result of, of doing the things that you need to do every day. And then I have no problem with people having nice things. I just think that, I don't know. That's kind what of about, what that. about that kind of stuff spoke to you? Like <clears throat> it sounds like at you- the time I had nothing, right? Like I was living at home with, you know, no money in the bank and no college degree, barely graduated high school. Like didn't know what the hell I was doing with my life. So I was like, I need to make money. Mm-hmm. And so I started believing like, if I make, if I can believe it, it will happen, you know? And then uh, you thought like it worked for you also. I felt like it worked very well. Very well. Yeah. Like, yeah, it just like things, I don't know, like things just come into your life. Circumstances come into your life that you need to get the result that you want. Like mm-hmm. people come into your life, you get new connections. Um, this is kind of funny, but have you heard of angel numbers? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in this stuff anymore, but I think it, which we can get into that. Cause there's like numerology in the Bible and all that stuff. There's right? ton of numerology in the Bible. So this is going to sound funny because four two zero, which is four twenty for some reason, mm-hmm. like I would see it like when th- good things were going to happen, even uh-huh. though it's the freaking weed number. I don't yeah. know why it was that number, <laughs> but my very first huge realtor connection ever, like what really kind of catapulted me in the Fresno market, uh-huh. big, he was a big, like beast realtor. I drive up to the place. I look to the left and there's a construction bin. It kind of makes me like get chills uh-huh. with 420 on it, bro. Okay. Like huge letters. Yeah. I was just like, this is a trip. I walk in there and, uh, you know, we had a great relationship, did a lot of business together. And I had a lot of connections come uh-huh. out of that. Uh-huh. But I would see that number, which is just kind of weird how it would pop up in these times in my life when something huge is going to happen. Interesting. I don't see it anymore, really. What's the, but, what does the number 420 <clears throat> correlate to? In, in... I have no idea. I never looked it up. It oh. would just Maybe it was just a coincidence, but it was just a number that I would see when things would, like really big things would happen. Interesting. But it could have been demonic. I don't know. Yeah. You know? I mean, it could have been. It, it could have been coincidence. Um yeah, that's interesting, man. That's super so, interesting. Yeah, what do you guys think about numerology, dude? I'm getting way out there. I'm getting woo-woo. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't, that's one thing I don't know a ton about. I know numerology in the Bible, like, uh, as far as, like, scholars go, like, certain numbers represent certain things. Excuse me. The energy drink is bomb, bro. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, like, seven is the number of completion or perfection in the Bible. So, anytime you see the number seven in the Bible... 
um, it's complete. So God basically like a week of seven days, right? Um, uh, the, uh, number 12 in the Bible is almost always referred to when talking about authority. So you have the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ, right? The you 12 have t- tribes of Judah. 12 or, tribes of Israel. Yeah. Israel. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, Judah was one of the 12 tribes. Right, right. Right. Um, uh, so, uh, you, a thousand. So anytime a thousand is mentioned in the Bible in Hebrew, um, culture, ancient Hebrew culture, a thousand was always referred to as an indefinite number of time. So if you see like a day is like a thousand. So in, in, uh, Psalms, it says that a day is like a thousand years to you. And a thousand years is like a day to you when he's there. David's talking about God. He's saying that God operates outside of our concept of time. Mm-hmm. Like a day could be like a thousand and in then like a thousand just means an indefinite number of time. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and, and commonly six is the number of man, not the devil. Six is usually referred to as like referring to humanity. Right. Uh, so, uh, I don't put too much emphasis on it. Um, as far as like prophecy and, 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 that's yeah. I was just going to bring that anything up. like that. Yeah. Like a lot of times we like to read into things that aren't there in the Bible. Right. Yeah. There's some YouTube Baptist pra- pastors that I like to follow. They seem like they have a lot of good info and Who? stuff. Who is it? I think his name is Robert Breaker. Okay. He's legit dude. He's, he seems like a uh-huh. really good dude. Um, but he talks like he's very into that like numbers and mm. He like I think he used that Psalms actually to uh-huh. like say like a thousand days is one day and then if you take one day and it says seven days over here and like he had all these like, oh, different yeah. ways. Oh yeah, stay of, away from that, bro. You know? Stay so, away from that. So I mean it was interesting, uh-huh. right? I mean, nobody really knows the day or the time, but it's still kind of cool to like see some people That's the thing. Doing the math, I guess you'd say. Nah, you know? so like, yeah, that's called what we call like dispensationalism. It's a certain interpretation of like the book of Revelation. Right, right. And uh, they use a lot of numerology like that. But the scripture clearly says that Jesus doesn't even know when he's coming back. God the Father is going to send him. And that's when he's going to come back. But then you have these people adding up all these days and looking up all these prophecy. And it's like, you're trying to go against what the scripture already says. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to listen to you. All right. Let's do, can we get into the Trinity a little bit? (laughs) (laughs) The Trinity, man. All right. So the Trinity, why are you so, I want to ask you how can we, what, like why you're so curious about, I mean, this is good. It's good, but it's like, because I, I feel like for me, I, I, uh, I struggle with my faith and even today, Mm. sometimes I struggle with it. Right. Um, but I fully committed to like understanding it better and I want to, become a better Christian. I want to have a better understanding. I want to, you know, understand, like when you mention things in the Bible that are in the old Testament and stories, like half the stories you tell me, like, I didn't even know that was in the Bible, mm. you know? So to me, I didn't, I haven't studied enough. I haven't read enough. So I just like talking about this man. And like, I don't yeah. know. I do. A, I do a, a 30 day shred every January. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually like January, it's the sec. I start the second week of January. So it's a 30 day Bible. It's read the Bible in 30 days. How long is it? It's about, it's, it's about, uh, 40 chapters a day. And so you need to cut a lot out in order. So what I do is I just put it in, I put it in and whatever I'm doing, I just go, it's not. Oh, so you listen to it. Yeah. I listen to it. You can read it. I've tried, I tried reading it last year and I couldn't do it. I just Mm. couldn't sit down and you have to carve out several hours. It's about four to eight hours of listening sometimes. Um, cause some chapters are super, super long. Right. Um, 
But uh, when you read the Bible like that in such a short period of time, you really, it's amazing, bro. It is amazing. And then you, and then I kind of focus on one book for the rest of the year. Mm. Um, anyway. Oh, you do like one. That's crazy. That's actually smart. So you just study. Like yeah. You'll pick John and just study. I'm doing Romans this year. Yeah. So I have like companions and commentaries that I read to really study the book of Romans. We'll get into that yeah, after yeah. this. I'd love to get something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Trinity was something that was hard for me to like believe. I've talked to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Jehovah Witness. I got a really good buddy who's a Jehovah Witness. Mm-hmm. I actually studied with him, bro, mm-hmm. for like probably three months. What'd you learn? Well, they believe that the you know Jesus is the Archangel Michael, Michael, right? And some mm-hmm. some stuff that for me I was like that's a little out there. Um, I don't really think that the Bible really supports that, right? It's very what I think it for me with Jehovah Witnesses, they're very certain about some things in the Bible that they try to say, and they have to do like, I feel like mental gymnastics, right. To make some of the stuff how they want. And mm-hmm. they've changed certain scriptures, um, and whatnot. But yeah. So, I mean, we went over the Trinity. They don't believe in the Trinity, of course. And yeah, so I've looked deep into that. There's a guy named Sam Shamoon on YouTube. He's legit. And he's actually the one that like, is Jehovah witness? No, he's a, he's a Christian. Okay. He may be a Catholic, but I think he's a Christian. And, uh, yeah. So. Yeah, uh Trinity probably one of the hardest things to really explain in the Bible. Um and I preface with I preface that with uh we don't like it when we don't understand something. When we can't fully wrap our heads around something and explain it, we get upset and we get frustrated and a lot of times we discount it. And that's totally fine. Right. Like if I can't understand something, then I walk away from it. Like just be intellectually honest. Like that's how you are. But when you're dealing with something that's supernatural, you can't understand it on a natural level. And a lot of people will probably think that that's a cop out. Right. Um, but then that's where faith comes into play. Like really believing that the, if the Bible is what it says it is. And if Jesus claims to be who he says he is, then there are things that I don't understand that I'm really just going to have to believe on faith more than other things. Right. So the Trinity is, is this is concept that is found throughout the Bible that um, God, there's one God who exists in three different persons. And so like, it's like, what do you mean three different persons? Um, God is, uh, there's God the Father, right. there is uh, God the Son, and then there's God the Holy Spirit, or if you're Catholic or Anglican, Holy Ghost. Um, and this is, this is God in three persons, and each person has a role but they're all one. So even then it's kind of hard to explain. So a lot of people would think of it as like an egg. Uh, If you look at an egg, an egg has a shell, it has an egg white and it has a yolk, right? And so no matter what, um, like when you look at, you know, when you look at an egg and you see just the shell, it's an egg, right? Mm. It's still an egg. All these pieces make up the egg. You have uh, time, right? Past, present, future. Um, you have, uh, matter, I think, right. Solid, liquid and gas, right. right? I, I mean, think, humans, right. Mind or mind, body, soul. Body, yeah. Mind, body, soul. So there are a lot of things in nature. There are a lot of things in reality that are a type and a shadow of that concept of the tr- Trinitarian right. concept, but the Trinitarian concept can't be explained. The egg is a very terrible way, right? Um, because they're never separated. Like they're all one but they're also three persons, right? And they're, and they all work together. They're all in community with one another, the three of them, but they're all one God. 
um, is the best way that I can really explain that. Um, right. So, and the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. You will not find it in the Bible. Uh, but dude, Sam, so you should watch some videos on Sam Shamoon. He actually goes through the Old Testament and uh-huh. like shows the Trinity in the Old Testament. Oh, for sure. And it's it's legit. Like, there's a certain par- couple parts where I forget who the story, but there's uh-huh. like three people that show up to this one guy, and it's he's like basically showing that it's like God, the Holy Spirit, and mm-hmm. Jesus, right, mm-hmm. in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. essentially. But that yeah, in in the first uh, in the first chapter of the Bible. When God creates man, he, or I think it's the second chapter. Well, actually, there's two accounts of the creation of the earth, which is interesting. Um, but God says, let us make man in our image, right? Right. right so, right. and then um, all throughout the the Gospels, Jesus is referring to, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? Uh, whoever has love for me has, if the love, if you don't have love for me, then the love of the Father is not in you. Um and in the book of Acts, you see people praying to the Holy Spirit, right? Like, it's um, it's not something that we can fully understand exactly right. how it is, right? But what we can understand is we can understand the roles, right? We can understand the roles of each person of the Trinity, what they do, how what our relationship was with them. Mm-hmm. So, and there's like I said, there's not the Trinity. You won't find that word in the Bible, but you'll find the concept. Right. You won't find the word exorcism in the Bible, but you'll see the concept of exorcism in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I could go on. There's a lot of stuff like that that's not explicitly spelled out like that. But if you look at the scripture, you'll be able to see that. Yeah, no, that's good, man. Yeah, that's good. So I love yeah, we don't it. have to get into more church stuff, man. Is there anything else that you want to talk about? Or uh, what were we talking about? Oh, we were talking yeah. about like we're both dads, bro, and I have yeah. a huge thing for like fatherhood. I didn't, I grew up without a dad and, um, I feel like that really played a role in how I am today. Like my temperament, just like even my stuff for knowledge and searching, like I'm still, maybe people say like, I'm still looking for my dad. That's why I'm always like looking for uh, knowledge. But we were talking before about raising our kids, right? And you got two boys Mm -hmm. and we were talking about like, uh, um, where, how do you know how much to shelter your kids or not? Like where, where are you at right now in your season of fatherhood where it's like, dude, so yeah, we haven't even really, again, like I was telling you, we uh, haven't really looked too much into it yet just because they're so young. mm -hmm. They don't have access to stuff. They can't really Mm -hmm. jump on YouTube yet. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely something like that we're thinking about, especially with schooling, uh, all the crazy stuff. What do you like? What are some values that you want to like instill in your kids? I'm sure hard work is one of them, bro. No. Yeah. Hard work. Um, there's something that I tell them. It's like we have, you know, four things: uh, respect, um, discipline, integrity, and responsibility. Uh-huh. So these are things that I try to instill in my son. You know, I tell him it all the time. My my wife said that, or says that you have to tell some a kid like t- something twelve times before they actually start getting it. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can tell them one thing, and they won't understand it. So it's like constantly putting those beliefs into them. Wow. Um, but yeah, that, that's really some you know fundamental factors I'm trying to instill in them. Yeah. What's yeah. your favorite thing about being a dad? Dude, just like spending time with them, bro. I don't know. You know, just spending time with them, just watching them grow up is crazy. Yeah. You know, from a young age and 
it just goes by quick. Do you kind of see like some of the things your son does, maybe your oldest that like you do? You're like, Oh dude, where did he get that from? And dude, then you're 100%, like, so oh. it's funny. It's kind of like random, but, uh, he was doing this a lot with his hands where he like, kind of like rub his hands. Like uh-huh. this. I was like, what are you doing? Like, why do you keep doing that? And then I was waiting somewhere in a waiting room one day and I started doing this. I was like, what the heck? Why? Like, you know, so you just notice these small little things that mm-hmm. your kids pick up from you. Yeah. Uh, you know, whether it's the way you talk or personality traits, things of that nature. Yeah. So yeah, that's, it's funny to see. He's my oldest is a lot, uh, like me as far as like energy and things of that nature. Oh, yeah. But my oldest is also a mama's boy uh-huh. big time. And then my youngest is a daddy's boy. Like my youngest wants to be following me everywhere. Uh-huh. And then my oldest wants to be with mommy. Um, but it's, it's a great team. We yeah, do, yeah. You do great. What are you hoping to like? You do well. Like you do super well, bro. And like, what are you hoping to like leave your kids when they grow up? Like, are you work? Like, when you work hard, is it I'm working for my family, or like, like what is it that you want to leave your sons or or all the kids that you have? Uh, yeah. We're. I don't think we're gonna have any more. Uh huh. For me, I want to leave my kids with personality traits that they can go out and get it on their own, right? You see a lot of these trust fund babies that end up in drugs, alcohol, things of that nature. Um, So I don't think leaving my kid, like it's good to leave them with stuff, right? Set them up. But I think leaving them with the traits to get that stuff is more important than leaving them with stuff, Uh you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, of course I want to give my kids rentals and have, you know, generational stuff for them, but it's more about like, what do I want them? How do I want them to be when they grow up? And what does know? any of that matter? The rentals and all that stuff. If they don't have the character to sustain it properly. hundred percent. Right? Well, that's why, you know, that's why wealth is lost typically within one to two generations, bro. You see a lot of people that get extremely, you know, maybe they're very successful mm-hmm. and then they pass it down to their kids and their kids lose it all. Mm-hmm. Right. Or they're you just think that's not the parents stewards. fault or that's the kid's fault. That's a great question, man. I think it's maybe a mixture of both. Like maybe the, the dad didn't teach him well enough. Maybe the kids weren't as engaged as they could have been. Right. Because I mean, you're self-made bro. Right. Yeah. Pretty self-made. I had, you know, look, man, I had a dad that never gave up on me. Right. So I was going through a really tough time when I was getting my business started. I lived with him and didn't pay any bills. Right. So I had a way that made it easy for me to get my foot off the you know, my feet off the ground mm-hmm. because I didn't have to, uh, pay rent. You know, I didn't even have to really pay for my food because he would bring food home and I would just eat what he was right. feeding me. So that definitely gave me an advantage, uh-huh. you know, because you can take bigger risk when you have no bills. What did he teach you about business? He just taught me dude, to treat everybody, treat every single client, you know, with the utmost respect, of course, and always just do business honestly, dude. That's like uh-huh. his biggest thing that he's imparted to me is just be honest and and uh, don't rip people off, right? Because even though sometimes, like, let's say you can make, just being transparent, a bunch of money on, on one deal or something, mm-hmm. right? Because maybe the client's not well-informed. There's people that do that. There's people that will say, this client doesn't know as much. I can make a rip off of them, right? And that may be cool for that one client and you may make that for that one client. But I feel like those character traits 
are going to carry over and mm-hmm. people are going to find that out about you mm-hmm. and people won't want to do business with you. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like we charge, you know, I charge a fair price and my price stays the same, whether it's a hundred thousand dollar client or it's a $500,000 client. It the doesn't same. matter the same way. Oh yeah, we charge the same baseline mm-hmm. on each client. Right. So, wow. um, that's, f- I, I think just doing business like that is a way, you know, um, cause so, at the end of the day, word of the mouth is everything, bro. Like you can do all the marketing on social media. You can do all the paid advertising. You can do all of that. But if you just establish like a really good reputation in the area that you do business in and people know that you're like an honest individual that does right by people, you're just going to grow from that alone. There's people that do no marketing that crush it, yeah. you know? So. so do you think it's dishonest to charge based on the perceived value of a client? To, like, so like I have a pay scale. And so, so perfect example is I was living in the tower district. Me and my wife were living in the tower district for, mm-hmm. um, uh, about seven years and with our family and we had a pretty large house. It was like 2,200 square feet, really right. big, newer house in tower. And they, um, we would call this carpet guy to come out and he would charge us 50 bucks to do our whole house. And he charged us like an extra 15 to like do the furniture. He would like mm-hmm. come and steam the carpet, steam the couch. Right. Uh, now we, we now live in North Fresno and he charges us 50 bucks, uh, just to come out and like do one small room. And so we notice that he charges different based on the area that he works in. So if is I, it the area that he works in or did he just raise his prices over time? No, because he's, he does work for, he does work for the church, our church too. Oh, okay. So, and the, and, and depending on the area, his price fluctuates mm-hmm. and I could be wrong, right? I could be wrong, but I've noticed that, you know, cause he still does the house that the old house that we used to live in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't necessarily see that as dishonest. Right. I just, for me, I'm more talking about like mortgages or real estate in general. I don't know how those other businesses operate. Right. But you're much. saying that right. if it was a $5,000 client or a hundred thousand dollar client, you charge the same, right. right? We make sure that we charge the same. So if you're going to charge a higher price, let's say that a mortgage company is charging a higher price, just putting mm-hmm. that out there. That should be the price across the board. In my opinion, for a mortgage company, they shouldn't get a client that maybe is not as educated and charge that client even more because they're not as educated for, for something. I guess right? it doesn't translate it, as well. Are you charging percentages? Yeah. So we oh, charge, okay. per, so it's different. That's what I'm saying for I the see. mortgage industry. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of deception in the mortgage industry as well. I think it's jacked up, right? Like you should have a price on the mortgage industry specifically, yeah. even if your prices are high. Okay. Be high, have a high price, but charge it to everybody. Don't, what's what's yeah. another example of like bad practice in the mortgage industry? Not like fully approving the client up front, right? So just like you come in for a mortgage and I don't fully review everything. I'm like, okay, you're good to go. You jump in the car with a realtor, realtor starts showing you houses for the next three months. You were never actually fully pre-approved because your income wasn't fully verified. You just had a, you have a pre-approval that looks good. You put an offer on a house you get an accepted contract, you get 15 days in, the lender tells you, sorry, man, you're not approved, right? So these things happen. Yeah, these things happen. I mean, now look, there's always gonna be those scenarios that something pops up. Mortgages are really tough. There's a lot of crap that happens in the mortgage game on the back end. And there's gonna be things that pop up. Every single loan officer has dealt with it. And if they're saying they they, uh, haven't, they're lying. It's just, 
you should make sure you're doing your due diligence and you should have a very small percentage of people that have issues closing. Why would a mortgage lender do that to begin with? Well, because look, loan officers are paid on commission. So if they feel like a deal can work and maybe they just don't fully verify everything, they're going to try to do it, you know, but then it gets to underwriting and underwriters like a little detective. So they're Uh going to go in, they're going to pull data, verify, they're going to look at a credit report. They're going to look at everything. Uh Right. And, uh, and the underwriter is going to say, hell no, like you calculated this income wrong. This person's per diem. They're not full-time. You tried to use their full-time hourly rate, but they're only getting paid 32 hours a week. We have Mm -hmm. to average this over two years. Mm -hmm. They average over two years, income falls. Yeah. DTI goes up. Now they don't qualify. Uh-huh. So things like that. What um what was I gonna say? Uh I guess man, it got away from me. But I had another one loaded. Is somebody getting into the mortgage industry, um like what oh, your craft. So your craft is being right. in the mortgage industry, right? Being right. a lender. How have you perfected your craft and grown? Yeah. Like, e- e- like even in like character or in, in just like the skill, mm-hmm. like, Oh, here's some things that I could, you know, r- really helped me dial it in and mm-hmm. get more deals. Yeah. So definitely it's not perfected and it probably never will be sure. unfortunately, but, um, we definitely improved a lot. And I just think those improvements have come from the failures, like messing up really bad example, something happened where a deal fell out. Right. These things happen to everybody and learning how we don't do that in the future, uh-huh. you know? So yeah, I think just over time, man, you have failures that you learn from, you improve, you get better. And as far as character, when I was young, you know, you don't know anything when you get in this industry. Uh-huh. There's a lot of politics in the industry, especially here in Fresno. It's a small in the mortgage town. Mortgage industry? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there's a lot of politics as far as relationships and just Fresno is a small town. Mm-hmm. So if you're in the mortgage industry, which is really one of the only businesses in Fresno, I mean, there's other businesses as well, but mm-hmm. real estate is a huge oh, yeah. business here uh-huh. in town. Yeah. It's one of the main ones. So everybody knows each other, mm-hmm. right? So you really like in my earlier years, I probably set a couple people off just because I was very like out there mm-hmm. and very over the top and it probably helped me because it got my name out there kind of quick. Right. You know, when you create a lot of exposure, even, you know, even if it's negative, it's Mm -hmm. good, good or bad publicity. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think over time, I've just kind of learned to be a little bit more like low key and not having to voice everything out, um, and voicing the things out that matter and, uh, keeping some of the opinions to myself within the industry. Mm -hmm. So if you could do one thing differently, when you're starting mortgage, what would you do differently? I'd be more focused on doing like income producing activities because looking back, I thought I was doing a lot of income producing activities, which I was, but I could have been a lot more effective and Mm. I could have been farther than where I'm at now, right? A lot of people in the mortgage industry spend times doing things. I mentioned this, spend times doing, doing things that are not really getting them anywhere. Like what practically? Going into the office and making three calls and then thinking you're done for the day or just what would you do? Go in and make 300 calls? Yeah. I mean, really, if you are a new loan officer in the business right now, especially in this market, you need to be making at least, in my opinion, 200 calls a week, like minimum. And then on top of those 200 calls, you need to be doing 15 in-person face-to-face appointments a week. 
nobody does this. Uh-huh. Everybody just kind of like, okay, I'm going to go to this networking event. I'm going to do this. And then I'll do two deals a month. Uh-huh. And they want to scale, but they don't realize like what it actually takes, mm-hmm. what the people that are doing it at a high level are doing. So Jeremy is just grinding. Not as much anymore, bro. Cause like he, he is grinding. Jeremy's like one of the hardest workers I know, uh-huh. but he's established his business so well over the last 15 years that you kind of get to a certain point where you don't have to do that as much. Yeah. You know, I'm saying for a new guy that's getting into it or even like midway through your career, or even at the kind of at the beginning stages, first five, six, seven years, you need to be pounding the pavement, making those connections, making those phone calls, asking for the business, providing value, figuring out ways that you can be different. Like how are you going to differentiate yourself from other loan officers? Everybody sells programs, pricing. My pricing's the best. My pricing's the best. It's like, it's just goes on deaf ears. I feel like because uh, everybody says that shit. So you uh, have to figure out how can I be different and then use that to market in your marketplace. So how do you like, so it's basically what it sounds to me like what you're saying is stop talking about, you know, what stop talking about how you're separating yourself and let your work speak for you. Right. Yeah. Let your work speak for you, but also find things that actually make yourself different. Okay. Right. How do you make so, yourself different? I, my main objective this year is providing value to my realtor partners. Like how can I help my business partners and clients win? I hear that a lot, right? Like Like how can I help other people win? And I mean it legitimately, right? Mm -hmm. So I came out with this thing called the Vero promise. And what the Vero promise is, is we're guaranteeing that you'll close in 10 to 15 days. You waive all your loan contingencies upon writing up your offer. So you're basically submitting your offer to the seller, like a cash offer. What is that? What you just said, all your contingencies, like, yeah. break that down to me. So like typically understand. a, uh, a contract's going to be on 30 days and your loan contingencies, I get free. It's like 17 days. Okay. So technically the loan is not fully done until your loan contingencies are removed or not necessarily done, but not fully approved. What is a loan being done? What does that mean? Like not fully approved. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Not gotcha. fully approved. So I understand. If you have your contingencies in place, there's always that possibility that your deal could fall out. So Mm -hmm. that's what sellers believe. That's why when you buy a home with a loan, right, it's not as strong as buying a home for cash. But if you remove those contingencies up front without even doing anything, Uh you're basically telling the seller, we're writing this up almost like a cash deal because it's guaranteed that it's going to fall through. You're putting your earnest money deposit in and as long as the inspection and the appraisal contingencies... Uh Uh, they, they release those, Uh they take your earnest money deposit. Usually you have to wait for the loan contingencies to be removed. So the Vero promise. Yeah. Right. So just providing value like that, getting masterminds together with my realtors, Mm -hmm. right? Getting them in a group of people that are all doing business at a high level. Some realtors do a lot of paid advertising. Some realtors do a lot of past client marketing, like getting these people together, letting them feed off each other of what's working in this difficult market. Mm -hmm. So Doing things like that to figure out how to provide value. And of course we talk about products and pricing, like everybody talks about that stuff, but that should be like the difference, the peripheral, right? Like you have that stuff, but the real reason I'm the difference maker is because I'm going to differentiate myself from all the other loan officers. So you have to come up with that. And then once you have that, you can market it really hard. Mm. I yeah. Marketing for you is really easy because your whole, this is from my perspective, your whole goal is re- to build relationship. Right. It's relationship first, business second. Right. Because if you build relationship, then you can decide whether or not I want to work with this person. Right. right? So 
I think, I think that that's cool, man. Yeah. And there's some, you know, there's some people that you don't want to work with, right? You, you work with them and you're like, eh, this is not somebody I want to do mm-hmm. business with. So, and that's okay too. Yeah. I love it, man. So. You're the mortgage freaking guru, bro. It's time for you to write your own book. <laughs> yeah, dude. Maybe one day. Yeah. Maybe one day. So, but it's a lot of fun, man. I enjoy what I do. I really yeah. do. I enjoy building things. I enjoy entrepreneurship. Um, I think it was, if it was just mortgages, I'd be bored out of my mind. Uh, I, do you, you do know. anything else besides mortgage? Uh, real estate investing. So I'm actually closing on uh, property, buying it for 179. It's worth 240 as is. I got private money on it. Are you super low key about your investing? Uh, yeah, but also I am kind of more so just getting into it. You know, like uh-huh. I have three properties right now, um, but I'm trying to get more. Yeah, and I want to keep. But I once you get private money, it opens up a whole new world. Yeah. Because now I can go to like, let's say you have three hundred thousand dollars, right? Uh-huh. And I'm going to give you twelve percent interest in one point or two points or whatever it is. I don't have to go to Zinc Financial or a bank with Zinc's a great company. Go there mm-hmm. too, but um, I don't have to go through all the underwriting. I just literally find these deals, cash purchase, and then refinance them into my own name. And as long as the numbers make sense and I'm buying it below market, mm-hmm. you know, you can get your deals. You've heard Jason and all of them talk about this a million times. Oh I'm yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. But it's that's the way to do it, especially in this market, because if you go on the MLS right now and try to buy a three hundred and fifty thousand, four hundred thousand dollar house. First off, you got to put a big ass down payment to do it as a conventional loan. Then it's probably not going to even cash flow, right? So when you buy these below market deals, you get better cash flow. Yeah, and it makes more sense with the numbers. What are any other business ventures, dude? That's my two main focuses: is just mortgage and real estate investing. Yeah, right now. Um, yeah. I got it used to be in this way where you know you do twenty million things, right? Is that conflict of interest? Focus. Mortgage and real estate investing? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I. And matter of fact, I think it's great. Because yeah, because you know just, how both industries work exactly, yeah. dude. And then when we do our refinances, you know, uh, we can refinance them ourselves, basically. Oh, okay. So, yeah, bro, you're smart. Yeah, it works out. But take me under your wing. Do some <laughs> come in the mortgage industry, man. So, uh-huh. all right, brother. Thank you for coming on, dude. Thanks it was for fun. having me, man. So we'll have to do it again. But love it. Is there anything you want to leave the audience with? Uh. Jesus Christ is the one true God. Um, that sounds pretty zealous. Uh, but um, I, yeah, I, I would say like there, there's a God and uh, his name is Jesus and he loves you. And um, uh, he desires a relationship with you. And becoming a Christian doesn't make your life instantly better. Um, but it kind of uh, makes seeing the world a little bit clearer. Um, and you really see things for as they truly are. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I, I want to thank you for having me on, bro. Yeah. Thanks, um, too. I really have enjoyed producing and, uh, just like watching your podcast grow, watching your socials grow. Thank you for letting me be a part of that. Yeah, dude. And, you. um, here's to, I think, what are we on episode? What episode are we on this for 10. Corbin? 10. Yeah. Bro. Here's to one hundred more. Yeah, yeah. Here's to a hundred more, bro. Awesome, bro. Thank you for coming on, dude. It's fun.